Hey, before we uh, get underway this week, I just want to let you know that this evening I launched a new crowdfunding campaign, the 9pm Summer Series 2023. If you're a long-time listener, you'll know what this is about. And if not, well, it's about funding more special guest episodes of this pod over, you know, summer. And perhaps uh, some episodes of the 8pm quiz video live stream as well. Whichever category of human you're in, I'd be grateful if you could click through, check out the details, and maybe even pledge your support. Just go to the 9pmedict.com slash summer2023. That's the 9pmedict.com slash summer2023. Look, you'll figure it out. Anyway, bring on the computer lady. The following episode of the 9pm edict contains strong language, infectious diseases, weird science, and frogs. Sunday, the 5th of November, 2023, frogs. Yes, frogs, frogs, I tell you. We're talking about frogs today with science communicator Ubalidi Vesekra because it's Frog ID Week. Also in this episode, we reflect on the state of play with COVID-19. COVID is not over, it's just changed in how we deal with it and how we're living with it. I'm forced to make a confession. Oh, are you telling me that you do not talk to the trees still? And we despair at the terrible design of the human body. Well, you know, evolution's doing its best. Hello, I'm Still Gary, and this is the 9pm Frog and COVID. Uh, sounds a bit like a pub sign, doesn't it? With Upali Divisecra. It is once more my very great pleasure to have one of our more popular guests on the podcast. It's true. It is science communicator Upali Divisekra. Upali, good afternoon. Hi. Good afternoon, Still. How are you? I'm coping well, thank you. And I'm pleased to say <laughs> that we've got you on during Frog ID Week. Now, this How is cool a thing is that. that it's very cool. This is a thing run by the Australian Museum, their Frog ID project. Download the app. You've got until next Sunday, the 12th of November. R record frog sounds and then they'll tell you what they are. Or you can try and work out what they are because the app has all the frog sounds in it. Uh, and it's science. It's science. But, Upali, tell me about frogs. Why are frogs cool? Well, frogs are very cool partly Look, I'm I'm probably biased because I grew up on the Muppets, right? And so Kermit the Frog was like, I don't know, the 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 Bieber of his day, I guess. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, Justin Bieber of his day is that because frogs go Bieber, Bieber? Ah, uh, yeah, that that would be it. Uh, I'm not sure which which of us was more cringy just now. <laughs> It's fine. We're old. <laughs> Hello, fellow kids. Yeah. Hello. <laughs> but Hello. frogs are awesome. <laughs> frogs are awesome. Um, they're obviously, it's, generally, they are pretty cute. Uh, but they're also really important because they're really important indicator species. And indicator species are species that uh, ecologists study or use as markers for the health of the environment that they live in. Okay. Um, and frogs are very, very sensitive to the to changes in the environment and levels of rainfall and so on. 
uh, partly because of its physiology. Uh, you know, they, they have a very thin little skin and they can sort of breathe through it. There's a lot of exchange of moisture through their skins. Uh, and, of course, they live mostly in wetlands. So they're one of the most important indicator species around. And so this initiative by Australian Museum is a really wonderful uh, citizen science initiative. Um, so you can download the app, as still said, and if you've got any frogs in your area, uh, you'd be surprised how many places they'll, they'll be hiding. Uh, and you can record the sounds and you can send them in. And it's actually really, really helped uh, the Australian Museum scientists. Jody Rowley is in charge of this project and she's also been on Real Scientists a couple of times. It might seem like, well, how exactly does it help ecologists to understand the distribution of frogs? But it does because if you, it, it will be location-based information as well, so it will tell you about the distribution. But also because uh, many people are not going to know what the actual sounds of different species are necessarily that well. It means you might pick up on a whole new species or you might pick up on an endangered species that you that they didn't realise was in that area. So um, it's really excellent citizen science, I think. Well, that's actually something I wanted to talk about because a few weeks ago the Australian Museum put out media releases about new frog species which have in fact been discovered in this. Uh, one I thought <laughs> funnier than the original, introducing the Western laughing tree frog. And I think it's important at this stage we we listen to it, obviously. Mm-hmm. There's one in the background, but here's one in the foreground coming up now. Very exciting, is it? Can you hear them? Yeah, I I guess when they say that it's a laughing, I thought it would be more like you know a kookaburra sounds distinctly like it's laughing. <laughs> so I thought it might be a bit like that, but okay, it's fine. You can't you can't say that after a long day of of, of environmental <laughs> observation, frogging around. This may, oh, <laughs> that this wouldn't sound like a laugh to you. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. Uh, look, uh, it, it seems pretty cool. Uh, as always, uh, dear listener, I've linked to everything we mention and there's some photos of them, really good photos actually, at uh, the Australian Museum. That particular frog is very much part of the sort of platonic ideal of a frog that we're used to, like like the green tree frog. is. It's just, you know, it's so froggy. It's like perfect frog example. <laughs> and this, this, is, this looks like the green tree frog, but it's not green. <laughs> Beige. <laughs> so it turns oh, out that uh, Roth's tree frog or the northern laughing tree frog, uh, which lives in northern Australia and apparently southern New Guinea, uh, it turns out that it's actually two different species. Uh, so there's a, a call, the, the calls between the two species are very slightly different, but they didn't actually understand that until they got, you know, a bunch of recordings from around the country about it uh, from different frogs. And so they could, they then genetically analysed uh, the two different frogs and found that they were in fact two species and not the same one. That, you know, one wasn't slightly darker beige and the other one was just, you know, not as tanned that day. It turns out <laughs> they're two totally different species. Although they are, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Here we go. It says here, with the help of the Frog ID project, we confirmed that the Western laughing tree frog had a longer laugh of 
9 to 18 notes compared to the Roth's tree frog, which has 5 to 10 notes, which is confusing because if it's 9 or 10 notes, that overlaps. So maybe oh. so it's a fraud. Okay. But they, they have found there's a distinct thing and there's a map showing where there's a dividing line between there the is, species. Yeah, but that but that's a great thing. Like so it's not only just the very well, at least to the untrained ear, you know, a, a difference in the calls, but there is an actual genetic difference. <laughs> totally, you know, uh, uh, the, the the frog is actually. Let me see. Uh, it was Roth's tree frog was not one but two species, and Roth's tree frog is actually restricted to Queensland, and another species until now scientifically unknown. I'm just reading from. Uh, Australian Museum here, occurs in Western Queensland, which they have now scientifically named the second species the Western Laughing Tree Frog. And it turns out that <sighs> they're not even closely related genetically. Ross Tree Frog is more closely related to Everett's Tree Frog. Gosh, those are <laughs> absolutely inspiring names. However, Everett's Tree Frog is from <laughs> Indonesia. <laughs> Oh, there you go. Everett being uh, obviously a profoundly Indonesian name. The other <laughs> new species of tree frog, not frog, but froglet, there are things called smooth frogs, apparently, smooth froglets. And I don't, uh, I don't think you can I don't think you can say it without saying smooth. Smooth. Smooth, smooth. froglets. Now there is uh uh, a genus called uh, Geocrinia, which uh, are in the southern and south, well, southern parts of Australia, anyway, and they they have now had two species up until now at the aptly named Southern Smooth Frog, or or the Eastern Smooth Frog, and although they looked very similar, again <laughs> they had very different calls. Uh, so here we go. This one is the uh, southern smooth froglet. Creaky door. Oh. Okay, that's a very froggy frog. It's a very froggy frog. But the almost identical-looking Eastern smooth frog sounds like this. <laughs> oh, wow, that's that's like Delhi traffic. <laughs> wow. I, I, I have that- to play the start again because I like that, that opening note. That is amazing. That is so distinctly different and also profoundly irritating, so much more profoundly irritating. (laughs) (laughs) Well, the other thing is, again, where the range of these two species overlap down in Victoria somewhere, they they again found there was sort of a call that was a blend of the two. Mm. And it turns out, analyse them genetically, no, third species, which they've named the Otway smooth frog because it's found on the Otway plains and ranges. Primarily so, there. That's that's yeah. fantastic. So if you download this um, app, you are helping 
us understand the distribution of frogs and also discovering whole new species. It's, it's just fantastic. So partly from the call. Uh, but you've got to remember, like, you know, scientists are obviously doing this already on their own. But the advantage of having citizen scientists do this is that, you know, it doesn't have to be restricted to when the scientist is out on field work. Uh, it's it's it will depend on what time of year that you know the the citizen scientist is 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 in the area and um it also means that there's a bigger sampling range because that's one of the things that you you know when you're trying to understand something you want to have a sufficient number of samples that are statistically significant um to and in so doing this they've picked up new species where previously you know so instead of two there's now three of these uh, geocrinia frogs. And I will say, if if people do go out there to their local little pond, wetland, park, swamp, creek, river, whatever, you will probably find more frogs than you realise. Up here at Bunjeri Cottages yeah. in the Blue Mountains, we have a – well, it's not really a dam, it's a pug hole, which is where mud was taken out to build the mud brick houses. And it's a pond. There's at least three species of frog there, plus we also have a tree frog around the place. Ooh. Um, and the snakes love it because oh, snakes yeah. eat frogs. And this 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 brings me on to my next topic, the naming of things. We've already had the <laughs> southern smooth froglet, the eastern smooth <laughs> froglet. I, I want to mention now a new species of mite, M-I-T-E, which has been called Hedwig because this mite lives on a beetle called Potter, and for those of you uh, who read turf fantasy, um, the Harry Potter books have an owl called Hedwig, and so because this mite lives on a beetle, they've called it Hedwig. Um, should scientists be allowed to name their own discoveries? <laughs> See, the thing is that this is probably one of the more creative names <laughs> It saddens me to say this, but it is one of the more creative names from a scientist. I mean, we've just talked it's about. It's true. I'm, I'm looking at the photo. Yeah, I'm looking at the photo here now, and I'm going, "Oh, it's the tan mite." Yes, it's you can the, either call the it the tan, tan mite, the tan or beetle mite, or <laughs> Hedwig. I mean, precision. Precision is important. Um, gives you an idea of what exactly it is, but it's also really staggeringly boring, and. Uh, <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure that Douglas Adams had a joke about this, uh, which I cannot even remember in full, but it was something along the lines of he had gone to Madagascar and then I think there was I think a creature called some kind of lemur. It was like a long-nosed or ring-tailed lemur or something like that. And, I, and, and, and in uh -huh. his typical fashion, obviously I'm absolutely bastardising this whole process of trying to tell this joke that I don't even remember clearly, but he basically said, <laughs> yes, it, and and. An example of the creativity of scientists, the, the long-nosed lemur turned out to be just that. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, yeah. The alternative. And here we are. We have brown snakes in Australia, the eastern brown well, snake, the western well, brown could, snake, the red-bellied black the snake, the yellow-bellied black snake. <laughs> otherwise you'll get the Indonesian Everett's frog, won't you? <laughs> which is what we just discussed now. So we've had Everett's tree yeah. frog and then there's Roth's tree frog. That's the other side of that coin. You get to name it's it after a, yourself. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, that, okay. That at if least you discovered a, a new, if you discovered a new species, yeah, let's what would say your approach that I, be? Let's say I discover an awesome new species of dinosaur fossil. I was I, about to say it'll be dinosaur. Of course. What else matters in life? <laughs> or prehistoric <laughs> life. <laughs> um, well, I would definitely name it after my family. So every, oh, really? you know, I would, I would, because, you know, my parents have sort of supported this whole ridiculous life that I lead of, you know, it's like mm. I, I think I posted this a while back because I started watching Miss Marvel and, and her mum says to her, Miss Marvel's mum says, oh, do you want to be, we brought you up to be a good person. Do you want to be a good person or someone yeah. with their head in the clouds? And I was sort of like, yeah, I kind of both. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I, I think a dinosaur, um, you know, uh, thunder lizard, Divisecki, divisecari eye. Yeah, it's, it's difficult. I. It's difficult to turn divisecari. Oh yeah, I'm not quite sure how the last syllables have to go, but it's yeah, that's a lot, isn't it? Uh, unfortunately, that is the surname, and it and in using the surname, it means I don't offend either parent. Obviously, I've thought about this too much. Ah. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> if I discover two, it will make life so much easier. <laughs> That is a perfect moment to take a break and do the housekeeping. We'll be back with Upali in just a moment. Right then, a correction. Yes, a correction. A couple of uh, episodes ago, I mentioned some scientific research that claimed uh, that playing Tetris, the game, uh immediately after traumatic events would help prevent post-traumatic stress disorder. And, you know, that that went out on a Twitter thread. It got lots of coverage. Turns out maybe, maybe not so much. Uh, I've linked to a piece titled Tetris for Trauma Viral Twitter Thread, a Masterclass in Misleading Psych Research. Uh, and someone uh, uh, who actually knows what they're talking about says, a TV writer claims that research shows that Tetris is, quote, literally a trauma first aid kit. Her tweets sound scientific, but the research behind it is unconvincing. The article then goes through all of the studies cited, picks them to bits, and says, in short... There's no convincing evidence that playing Tetris actually helps people. The studies have methodological problems, tiny sample sizes, and have failed to replicate. Some found a reduction in, quote, intrusive memories, unquote, but no improvement in outcomes of PTSD or distress. In, in fact, kind of one of the main research uh, projects didn't even have any people with PTSD in it. So sorry about that. I was perhaps right to be sceptical that, you know, have, grabbing someone who'd just been in a horrible car accident and their family killed said, oh, that's terrible, come and play some Tetris. <sighs> Sigh. I thought I'd better get that out of the way given um, that we're talking about science in this podcast. Uh in the next podcast, my special guest will be Snarky Platypus. He's been on before, uh, back in June, where we spoke about fried rice, among other things. 
Um, I did notice he said the other day uh, when people start mistaking shit posting on social media for political advocacy, I think we need to bring out the smelling salts. And then he's created a new proverb. All posting on social media is shit posting until proven otherwise. Yeah, I'll go along with that. Anyway, we're recording that next Saturday, the 11th. If you are a supporter of this podcast with trigger words or a conversation topic to uh, chuck into that episode, please get them to me by this Friday, the 10th of November at 8pm Australian Eastern Daylight Time, and we'll put them in. Uh, And supporters, yeah, that's you, you know. This podcast is made possible by you, the generous listener, through your uh, subscriptions, one-off contributions, and by supporting my crowdfunding projects. And I've kicked one off today. Um, I actually started this spring series without any funding lined up. I'm an idiot. Uh, in fact, after the hardware refresh earlier in the year, uh, I didn't do a winter fundraiser. I didn't do a spring fundraiser. Um, And, you know, I kind of got a bit distracted from doing podcasts for other reasons. I had to sleep a lot. Don't worry. It's it's just a thing. Anyway, today I launched the 9pm Summer Series 2023. Though as I say that, I wonder whether I should have called it the Summer Series 2024. Anyway, it's it's there. Go to uh, the 9pmedic.com slash summer2023. That's the 9pmedic.com slash summer2023. Uh, you'll see all the things. It's about getting more episodes of this, this podcast happening with special guests across summer. And also I'm thinking of doing another series of the 8pm quiz, the live streamed video tri- uh, trivia slash news quiz thing across the Christmas New Year period, like I did last year. People seem to like that. Maybe you'd like to make more of them happen. Please go and check that out now. That's the 9pmedic.com slash summer2023. Just go to my usual places. You'll, you'll see it linked. Uh, and if you're listening to this podcast way in the future, you can just go to the 9pmedic.com slash tip and uh, do the needful. That would be lovely. Uh, this episode... I should say thank you to Matthew Crawford, uh, sir, for your contribution. Much appreciated. Uh, as for the rest of you, please go to the 9pmedic.com slash summer2023. And now back to the back to the thing. Time for some trigger words, Oopaly. Now, as mm-hmm. regular listeners to the pod will know, this is the glass jar of transparency containing folded up pieces of paper. Each one contains a word sent in by a supporter in the hope that it will trigger a conversation, except you may notice a problem with the glass jar at this point. It's empty. It's empty. One possible explanation for this, and I mentioned this last time, uh is that I put the trigger words somewhere when I was travelling. But today I looked <laughs> back and I think the other explanation is that I've actually got through the backlog of them all relatively recently too and I have none. So, dear listener, if you are a supporter and you do have rights to a trigger word, send them in so we can have some more because what we have to do now is sadly go to randomword.com. Oh, and the first thing that came up is xylem, X-Y-L-E-M, the woody portion of a plant. Mm. 
a good word. It's a great word, actually. Uh, it's a very I... woody word, if you know the old Monty Python joke. Oh, dear. Uh... <laughs> Xylems are very, very cool. I know it doesn't sound like it because sometimes plants may come across as being a little dull, a little set in their ways, I've a little static. I've never had a decent conversation <laughs> from a plant. Oh, are you telling me that you do not talk to the trees still? Uh, uh, next question, please. <laughs> Of course, I talk to the trees. I talk to all of all sorts of random objects. Good, good, because they can hear you. Well, the thing is, if you think of our blood vessels uh, and how important mm. they are in the transfer of blood in our bodies, well, it turns out that xylem and phloem are two types of vascular transport in plants or in vascular plants. So it's like our blood vessels, and uh, we have arteries and capillaries and that's all oxygenated and then we have capillaries connected to veins which collect deoxygenated uh, blood so that's our vascular system right. but plants obviously need some sort of transport system to get water from the roots to the leaves uh, as well as nutrients that they would have absorbed from the soil and that's what the xylem is for is for so it's kind of tubular and uh, the phloem actually has a lot more to do with uh, photosynthesis, transport of compounds for and from photosynthesis. So right. uh, while we, you know, our, our system transports and deals with oxygen while plants are involved in the production of oxygen. So wonder they don't explode. Anyway, yeah, so <laughs> I, that's I, a I great, don't know why that's I said a... that. <laughs> Well, it's a it's a byproduct, but yeah, that's kind of amazing. I say that chiefly because I still find, even some thirty years after finding out about photosynthesis, it's still the most incredible thing I've ever heard of. If you think about it, it's amazing. <laughs> Indeed, something else that's amazing <laughs> is uh, this next word. So, thank you, randomword.com. dot uh, the the next one is is occipital, meaning of like or pertaining to the back of the head. Oh, well, I think there's it's hard a lobe. to get excited about the back of your head. There's a lobe back there <laughs> of the brain. The occipital, the occipital lobe of the brain. I know it exists. I do not know what it does. <laughs> Let's have a look. This is just like a true crime oh. podcast, isn't it? We're looking up Wikipedia and reading bits of it to each other, just like true crime podcasts. We are very polished. <laughs> um, actually, it's <laughs> the occipital lobes, so according to Queensland uh, Health, sit at the back of the head and are responsible mm -hmm. for visual perception, including colour, oh, that's right, and motion. So you that, don't want to bang the back of right. your head. Yeah, <laughs> no, our brains are very cleverly designed so the eyes are all the way at the front and the occipital lobes are all the way at the back because that's the most efficient way to build things. The other thing I've, I'm amused by, <laughs> human vision systems at least, because I think vision systems have evolved independently like about half a dozen times, perhaps more in different yeah. ways. But but in the mammalian system, and you, you dear listener, are probably a mammal, um, we very cleverly 
put the blood vessels feeding the retina of the eye, the retina being the thing that is actually all the light sensors, uh, but we ran the blood vessels in front of the retina so it gets in the way. And it therefore drastically reduces the efficiency of the retina because it's got all these blood vessels in front of it. So well done, human eyes. Well, you know, evolution's doing its best. <sighs> well, thank you, uh, randomword.com, for those trigger words. And, dear listener, it, seriously, send some in if you, you have the credits. People heading into doctor's offices or hospitals across the Bay Area will be required to bring that mask again. KTVU's Bailey O'Carroll live this morning in Marin County with more details on who this will affect. Good morning, Bailey. Good morning, Pam. That is right. People all across the state will have to mask up depending on where you're located. If you are heading into a doctor's office, a hospital, skilled nursing facilities, this all in an effort to protect people from catching respiratory illnesses like RSV, the flu, COVID-19. Now, it will be different depending where you are, where your doctor's office is, or where the hospital is that you are heading. So if you are in Marin County and Santa Clara County. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't need to hear the rest of that. We're not in California. Mm. That report is from KTVU Fox 2 in San Francisco just a few days ago. And yes, in the land of freedom, the America, it's time to put on the masks, brackets in certain circumstances. And that's across California. Big problem there. We have also seen uh, some some alarming figures of, no, I, I retract alarming. We've seen some Significant and interesting figures about COVID infections in Ballarat and other places in Victoria. Now, mm. I don't want to go into the specifics of what's happening in the America, but I'm interested, Upali, in how us mug punters can understand what's going on. Who should we trust? Because quite frankly, there are people out there who rebleat every single bit of scary news they can find about COVID, and it's it's kind of become their personality, and I don't think this helps. Yeah, um, the pandemic has certainly been revealing, shall we say, uh, of mm. of so many things. Um, I know. And that- now that I've said that, I'm going to get complaints saying, "Oh, well, COVID is still there; it's airborne." You're saying it's not over. You know, COVID's not over. And I said, "No, no, I'm not saying it's. You know, mm-hmm. I'm not saying that. But it's not death to the entire human species, and we're all going to die if we go outside without a mask. But nor is it not a problem. Exactly, because yeah. we, when COVID first was first detected. I mean, it was it was a very severe respiratory illness and it was noted as being mm. distinct from influenza. And I, I know I've said this before in the past on the show, but, um, you know, scientists having experienced influenza outbreaks uh, in the past uh, and other kinds of epidemics were prepared for the possibility the Spanish flu being of 1918 being uh, the key example, because it wiped out after a very long and difficult war, it, it wiped out thousands and thousands of people. Uh, it might even be in the millions. Oh, oh certainly. Uh, Wikipedia says 17 to up to 50 million, maybe even as high as 100 million deaths. 
Yeah, yeah. And you can you can imagine like that what's setting the scene there is a level of vulnerability in people which might have also predisposed them to become more ill than they would have otherwise. But we also didn't have vaccines back then. And the diff- the thing is so scientists have been preparing for the possibility of some kind of respiratory disease pandemic. Uh, the possibility of it, which is why we have all been taking flu shots every year to try and cover all the the bases, basically, because the influenza virus is very highly mutable. The surface code is very highly mutable, and the surface code is what you would usually develop antibodies against, your immune system would pick. But because it changes so much, it means that every time there's a new version of the virus, uh, your body won't be able to recognise it because the code is slightly different in its shape. Uh, and so whenever there's a new strain that gets incorporated into the new vaccine, uh, of course, what we didn't expect would be that this would be a SARS virus. And SARS was a, mm. a, a small, significant panic in uh, around the early 2000s, and then we forgot about it. So when it turned up, it was, it was a shock and to deal with something that is relatively poorly understood. We don't know that much about SARS viruses as we should because that that epidemic was controlled very quickly uh, and also it wasn't necessarily seen as something that would affect people everywhere. It's like, oh, that's the localised thing. It was just an Asian thing or the SARS-type viruses found in the Middle East, again, don't worry too much about it. So there's Middle Eastern respiratory syndrome as well. Yeah, so, that, that had been the case up until then. Yeah, it had just been in an area and then contained. Yeah. It, it it didn't get into the global system. Yeah, uh, well, SARS did, but it was shut down very quickly ah. uh, because that, that was what a lot of the panic was because it was such a severe illness. Um, so that's why that's SARS-CoV-1 and this is CoV-2. Uh, but... It was shut down very quickly. They were able to rapidly control it. But this version perhaps is in the early stages not quite as, you know, debilitating and up to a point and so it could spread a bit more. Um, And it also took time for it to be recognised as a distinct illness from influenza, right? Mm. So once there had been some whistleblowing about it, then countries start to take charge a little bit. So firstly, obviously, the Chinese government had to take it seriously and then other countries had to take it seriously. Because it's a a respiratory disease, it just means that you coughing and sneezing on someone, like any old cold or flu, will spread it. It's just that it's a lot, has the potential to be a lot more deadly, uh, but also a lot more debilitating. And so the measures that were introduced were standard kinds of quarantine that you would have introduced if if it had been a smallpox outbreak or TB or plague, whatever it might be. And plague is still a thing. (laughs) Mm. Now we have vaccines, it means that at least it lowers the risk of the severity of the disease, but it doesn't eliminate the transmission. Wearing masks can help reduce transmission. It won't eliminate it, but it can reduce it. I think what's interesting here is that because we tend to associate all those sort of 
seemingly it's it feels draconian but because we're not used to having to deal with infectious diseases in this way anymore because they're, they're just they're just a thing of the third world is what we tend to think of them as uh, mm. we're not used to thinking of them in this way and so it understanding that this is a normal process of isolation and quarantining to try and contain outbreaks of of, of diseases uh it's that's what we associate with it and so People have to make that adjustment from severe quarantining early on when you don't know enough and when you're trying to prevent transmission and you don't have vaccines and you don't have adequate treatments to now where we have a a good range of treatments, um, but it can still be thoroughly debilitating and we have vaccines. So why should we still be wearing masks, I guess, might be one question that people have. COVID is not over, it's just changed in how we deal with it and how we're living with it. Uh, I, I know this is something that came up a lot in the early days of COVID as well and in the oh, early, yes. early stages of masking. But throughout Asia, people have been wearing masks if they have a cold. And rather than it being the burden on other people, people who were ill, if they took public transport or they go to work, they would mask up to prevent transmission, and it was considered good manners to do so. Uh, And that seems an entirely sensible and very basic courtesy uh, that we can do for (laughs) our community, I think. Um, Mass masking is uh, a blunt instrument when a society isn't taking these illnesses seriously or... I don't know. I don't want to. I hesitate to call it personal responsibility because that makes it a moral issue, doesn't it? And yeah, it's and a public health issue, not a moral it's a pu- issue. It's a public health issue, but you can see how it has become a moral issue because people wouldn't take it seriously as a public health mm. issue. Uh, and there is also, you know, quite a contingent of people, particularly on the conservative side of politics that thinks that public health is a bit of a joke and we shouldn't take it seriously. Because they're healthy and rich and white and, you know, it has a less likelihood of affecting them personally. Well, yes, but also we don't have smallpox anymore. We don't have widespread tuberculosis, especially in Australia. Uh, We don't Mm. have, you know, widespread uh, cholera and so on, but that's a function of vaccination and public health other public health initiatives, right? So because people were not taking perhaps COVID seriously enough or didn't want to, it took on this moral dimension, uh, which means, as you say, some people will be retweeting and and passing on whatever seems like the most frightening information because it's the only thing that might get through to people. And so instead of having people take the information and the situation go, okay, everything involves risk, Mm-hmm. Uh, so here is the le- you know here are the the things I'm going to do to alleviate or mitigate risk. It's more like it's either or. Either we're going to be entirely isolated and mask up, or it's a free for all. <laughs> so it doesn't have to be one of two extremes. <laughs> this is what frustrates me. It, it 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 keeps getting portrayed in this way. Yeah, it does, and. The, the ridiculous kinds of um, conspiracy theories on both sides as well. I, you know, it's the whole lab leaks thing and the whole idea that this is a global 
billionaire conspiracy for some reason, feeds into this paranoia. The other thing with COVID is because quite a few people recovered, the assumption is that if you haven't died, you're fine. Now, again, mm. this goes back to the complexity of the disease of of a SARS virus or coronavirus versus an influenza virus. And it's difficult to transmit all this information because coronaviruses are generally harder to study. And as a consequence, it's very specialist uh, people involved and you have to draw on limited pools, relatively limited. I'm not saying that, you know, we don't have enough scientists. We have many. Uh, and quantities and types of viruses studied. That's, that's all limited. And now, of course, that's changed, which means there's much greater focus on coronaviruses, which is great. But the thing is, trying to make people understand that it's not just a question of either you're alive or you're dead from COVID, um, which can also sometimes be seen perhaps as a moral victory in the same ridiculous way people say fought cancer, uh, because there's only so uh. much you can do against cancer, right? And if you, it's, there's no failure in cancer, right? There's no no way that you can lose your battle because it isn't one, uh, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, obviously you can fight it, but it's just not the same. But COVID does things to your immune system on very subtle levels that are difficult to explain to people that can't be done in sound bites. Uh, that requires you to take this information in very good faith to really educate yourself about it albeit not through YouTube molecular biology courses. So, so there's that. The fact that the effects of COVID are more subtle, they can be more long-term. Uh, I mean, anecdotally, I would say I can definitely see differences in the way family members' health has progressed since they had COVID. Uh, apart from myself, it's like definitely the, the older you are, the longer it takes to recover. Uh, but I've noticed like younger people tend to ha get sick more often than they ever did before um, because it's it's compromising you in many, many ways and it's more debilitating than we realise. Uh, so there's that. And there's so many factors involved in this that it's difficult to, within the kind of discourse, the kind of environment that we have of how we report and talk about things, to maintain that, look, this is this is a fine balance rather than either or. Uh, and it requires quite a bit of thoughtfulness <laughs> and thoughtfulness in reporting that we're just not going to get. Uh, uh, we're fucked. We're Which so is sad fucked. because COVID is an issue. It is still an issue. It's, it's actually killing, still killing hundreds of people in Australia. That's terrible. Uh a, a large proportion of them are very elderly, but that doesn't make it any less terrible, <laughs> you know, unless this is, of course, the government's way of handling the ageing crisis. Are you listening, Boris Johnson? Are you listening? Oh, the things he said, I'll put it in the tag at the end. Now, we could talk about COVID forever because it is fascinating, but we are running out of time and I wanted to uh, just ask you, uh, Upali, what shape is the earth? Uh, my understanding is that it's pretty round. Are you sure? Yep. Do you believe in the sun? That's the other question on, on the page there. Yeah, I believe in the sun. It's up there. Uh, uh, okay. It's well, burning through my curtains right now. <laughs> well, 
you may want to change your mind because I want to play you a brief interview uh, from one of the the good liars, a guy called Jason Selvig. Now, some background on them first. The good liars came together when they uh, posed as investment bankers protesting the Occupy Wall Street movement. Uh, together, they formed the One Percenters counter protest, Occupy Occupy Wall Street, uh, and it started as a like a comedy video. Like here we are, the bankers out there defending their thing. Um, and as they described it, we gave a an outrageously blunt and honest voice to the silent 1%. Anyway, they've, they've <laughs> done various things since. They look at conspiracy theories or whatever. Recently, Jason Selvig went to a flat earth convention uh, and spoke to this man for, well, we're going to hear a one minute and 20 seconds. If the earth is flat, where is the sun? It's 93 million miles away. The, the sun at any given time, and when you say the sun, there is no the sun. Everybody has their own sun. What do you mean? Literally. What do you mean literally? Uh, literally, everybody has their own sun. There's a different sun for everybody. What do you mean a Everywhere. different sun? I don't understand that. Like, you mean you're saying that there's a different sun here <laughs> in Las Vegas than there is in New York? Uh, you're not looking at the same sun there, correct. So how many suns are there? As many people who are viewing it. So every individual person has their own That's sun? Correct. What? That is correct. The sun's no more than 50 miles away at any given time. And it's 50, just, wait, wait, wait. But wait a second. A, but, but airplanes go sky, up in the sky. That's right. And it's like a rainbow. And how come the, the sun doesn't get bigger when you're in an airplane? The closer you move to it, the farther it moves from you. It's like a rainbow. And the sun isn't a thing. This is going to break me, man. Yeah, this is going to yeah, break the me. The sun is literally not a thing. The, 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 the what? Sun, <laughs> Wait the a second. Sun, yeah, no, it's not like a burning ball of gas or any of that bullshit. What is it? Yeah, it's what, what is the sun then? The the, it's cold. The sun is cold. The sun is cold. The sun is cold, Upali. Oh, God. Is it too early to start drinking? Ah, <sighs> uh, not <laughs> that really. That is definitely the... That is the most unique explanation. I mean, if he had said, look, it's actually the flower of Telperion and it's, you know, <laughs> emerges from the gates of night in the morning and rides across the, the, the sky in the day and then sets and then the in moon the other, We all know this. The other tree. Apollo's yeah, the other chariot. tree. I'm, I'm using the Tolkien mythology and you're oh, using right. yeah. traditional Greek, you know, the flower of Telperion, whatever. Okay, yeah, right. Yeah. 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 I mean, it can be argued that on a philosophical level he is correct. Everything Ooh. in the universe is simply a question of perception. We all have our own particular realities and the reality and the universe itself is perception, completely dependent on and, and you know, that's kind of uh, the, the foundation of Hinduism and, and, and Buddhist philosophies. True. That it is all illusion. Uh, and if you think going back to our discussion about the occipital lobe and its involvement in the processing of colour and images, there is a four-second delay in that. I think, what, is it four seconds? Anyway, there's a certain amount. Milliseconds? It might be. Like four seconds? No, but there is, a dis there is a delay. And yes. it means that what you're seeing technically is already in the past by however long that time is. So if you're viewing the sun, it is definitely your sun. It's, it's what you're seeing as, you know, a being in the universe, perceiving the universe <laughs> in that sense. 
50 miles and cold. I 80 kilometres for those of you who understand yeah. real units. <laughs> and also apparently it moves away from you like a rainbow, which that bit definitely broke me. Uh, <laughs> I don't think I need to explain that, but... But the fact that it moves away from you suggests that you both have uh, uh, there's this room for even more wonderful uh, theorization here. I mean, clearly we're magnets and the sun doesn't like your charge and so it keeps moving away from you the closer you get to it. I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting you to run with it quite so comprehensively. Well, I um I try I try to <laughs> I try to have an understanding of what's happening. <laughs> And then I uh, it's turtles all the way down, people. And yeah, and then I just think, you know what? There's half a bottle of whiskey in the drinks cabinet. Let's go drink that instead. But no, no, what this? No, no, no. Have, but about it, Upali. You've got a half a bottle of whiskey there. I've got half a <laughs> bottle of bourbon here, which is also a kind of whiskey. Uh, I'm going to to take that. I don't have my personal son here right now because it's it's cloudy. You have your personal son there. I have my personal uh, son. Oh, God. Uh, <laughs> I don't understand people. Dear listener, Upali and I are going to go to our respective other rooms. She's she's in another city. And we're going to try and understand what shape the earth is. Why are people? Why are people? Why are people? We'll leave it there. Thank you, Upali. We will now go and ponder why are people. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. It's lovely to be back. Well, that's the edict for now. Please support the 9pm Summer Series 2023 at the 9pm slash summer 2023. Please do that now. Tell your friends, uh, tell them to subscribe, all those things. The next episode will be in a week's time with Snarky Platypus. Until then, I'm still Garyan. Wash your hands. The 9pm Edict is a Skank Media production. Sorry.